You know, there are so many facets to God, right? We talk about God and we give God like a, I remember going into a Christian bookstore before and seeing this poster, you know, and it has all the names of God. And it probably didn't even have all of them, but it had all these names. You, you guys have seen those, right? These charts and they had that stuff. And uh, there's all these different facets of God, right? You look at it this way. And we talk about facets, kind of like talking about a diamond. You know, a diamond has all these different angles in there. And so when you, when you switch it a little bit, when light hits it, it looks totally different, maybe a different color when you move it that way than it did if it was, you were holding it this way. And this is the way God is, is. When we look at him from different angles, he reveals a whole complex nature about himself. And so one of the, the facets that I think is probably one of the, the cornerstone facets, if you will, about God is this idea about the, the fatherhood of God, about God being our father. And uh, so many times we, we get a tainted view about, about that because maybe an experience we've had with an earthly father or because maybe we think that maybe God acted a certain way in our life when he didn't or, you know, he, he didn't do a couple of things that he actually did do possibly. And so we're going to like dig in the next weeks talking about the next month and a half or so about Abba Father, about the fatherhood of God. And it says in Galatians chapter 4, this is one of the first passages of scripture I ever, I ever memorized because it was so powerful. And it says, but when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. So that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Isn't it interesting as scripture says that that, that that is a response from the spirit of God. See, it might, might feel a little awkward for you to say, Daddy, to God. Well, because you need the prompting of the Spirit, come on, to say that properly. You need to have that connection with God through the Holy Spirit in order to, like, call him that and not be a little awkward. My, it isn't awkward for my son to call me daddy, right? And uh, now, now sometimes, sometimes you need to speak that out, you know, whether you're feeling it or not. But if it's awkward for us, then it's probably because we need to get a little bit closer to God in the sense of him being our father. In fact, everything in our life, we always need to be a little bit closer to God. Are you with me? And so it says, you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Now I'm going to share the story tonight, very familiar story about the prodigal son. And uh, I was telling Leslie yesterday, I was like, I don't think I've ever, like I've mentioned the prodigal son in, when I've preached before, but I don't think I've ever preached a message on the prodigal son. And you know, there's, this, this is a story of, of, of so many different themes and so many different ideas. It isn't a story that really happened, although sometimes parables were based upon actual events, but it, but in in, in the understanding it in context, we can understand what Jesus was talking about. We can learn a lot of things that it might not be pointed to. Are you with me? So they're kind of things that God is saying, that, that it, because really it's a story about nature in the sense of it's the nature of fallen man. It's the nature of redemption. It also tells us the nature of a religious spirit, right? A spirit of envy. All these things are revealed. It's also the nature of God is revealed in this parable. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. As we talk about Abba, we're really talking about what is God like? What is he like? And so let's read the story. Uh, Luke chapter 15, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, 
I want my share of your estate or my inheritance now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth among his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed up all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Now, understand that when he was the younger son, now in those times, if there were two sons, usually the inheritance would be divided in thirds, and the older son would get two-thirds, and the younger son would get one-third. So he probably had a lot, but he didn't have a lot as much as the other brother did, which is a little bit important to know when you see his attitude a little bit later. About this time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land. So it wasn't enough that he ran out of his money, that he squandered all of his money, but now a famine came. Oh, come on. That's why it's important for us to be wise with our money. And he began to starve. He then persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying for hunger. I'll go home and and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please, just if you would, just take me on as a hired servant. So he returned to his father. The first thing that we learn about this story is we learn how important perspective is. Because here's, here's a man that did everything wrong, right? He takes his inheritance, he goes, he blows it. The Bible says on wild living. He blew it, right? He blew his money. And so he's got this pride, he's got this shame about going home. And, he, and it says, and, and, and this is what he says. It says, when he came to his senses, and I love that. When he came to his senses, he thought, I'll go back home. Now, I believe that he came to his senses, but he didn't come to his senses completely because he said, I'll go home and I'll tell dad, I I, I just want to come on. I just want to come and work for you. I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to live where I want to sleep in the bed I slept in. I don't want to wear the clothes I I wore. I don't want to eat at the table where where I ate before. Dad, I I just, I just want to come. I want to be your humble service. I know I blew it. I was so stupid. So what was the first problem that this man had whenever he decided to come home was his perception of how his daddy was going to be. And see, this is the thing is, is oftentimes, oftentimes, the way that we receive or the way that we, re, yeah, the way that we receive is the way that we perceive. If you think something a certain way, then you're going to receive something the, a, a way that it was never meant, meant to be, it was intended. For instance, sometimes Leslie and I, we will perceive, you know, being in a relationship, we'll think, oh, you know, so-and-so is mad, like they're grumpy or they're having a bad day because they don't have the biggest smile on their face or, or whatever. And they walk, we maybe wake up with kind of, you know, a little bit of grump. And then so we wake up and we start walking around the house and I'm like, and this question gets off and, you know, we're both, you know, a little bit, you know, self-conscious people. So, so we ask each other this question often, be like, are you upset about something? Right? No, 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 no I'm, I'm good. Are you sure? About 20 minutes later, are, are you okay? Are you upset at me? And so then what happens is because I'm perceiving that and there might not be anything going on, anything that she says, I take offense to. I'm like, whoa, 
okay, what's going on? What is it? I mean, you woke up and this, babe, there's nothing going on. Why? Because when we perceive someone to be in a certain way, then they come across in a way that's totally not intended. So our perception is very, very, very important. And sometimes when we say that God is our father, people kind of feel like this. There is no escape. Don't make me destroy you. Look, you do not yet realize your importance. You have only begun to discover your power. Join me, and I will complete your training. With our combined strength, we can end this destructive conflict and bring order to the galaxy. I'll never join you! If you only knew the power of the dark side, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. No! No! All right. You know, I remember when I was a little kid and watching The Empire Strikes Back as a kid. And, I, you know, we didn't know anything. It wasn't like it is nowadays. You know, you find out everything before the movie ever comes out. And I remember sitting in the theater as a little boy watching this happen, you know. This is before DVD players and all that kind of stuff. I don't even think they had video cassette tapes for you to watch. I remember sitting in a theater and thinking, oh, my God, (laughs) it is over. You know what I'm saying? Darth Vader is Luke's Are you kidding? This can't be true. And I felt kind of like Luke was acting. No! It's impossible, right? I mean, he's freaking out and his face is all contorted. And I think that sometimes that's what people think about whenever they think that God is their father. They're like, no, anything but that. And it might not, I might, be, I might be being just a little bit extreme tonight, but the reality is, is a lot of times people, they don't really want God to be their father. They don't really think it's a good idea to be God to be their father because they view God as kind of like Darth Vader, kind of like this cosmic tyrant forcing us to do a bunch of things that we don't want to do. It's all about our perception many times, just like this young man. Some people's perception of God is that he is a liar, right? Kind of like that movie you guys have seen, Liar, Liar. We think God's a liar, that, it, that he's not really a God of his word, that his promises nor his warnings are something that he is serious about. Sometimes people think God is kind of like a yes man, right? You guys have seen yes man, right? God, oh, yes, yes. God's just yes, yes, yes. God's saying yes to everything, right? Sometimes our perception of God is kind of like Santa Claus, Right, this is probably the most common perception that people have of God, right? He's an old magical guy who wears creepy velvet and breaks into your house once a year, eats your snacks, right? Who knows all about you and your kids and he keeps a list, kind of a creepy guy, right? He knows you really well, but you don't know anything about him. Some people think about God kind of like Santa Claus. Some people think God's kind of like a cosmic cop, right? He's always trying to bust us, right? Oh, 
oh man, I don't want to do that. God, I'll see. You know, I remember as a kid, God's watching you. Like that was a bad thing, right? I can't say that I've never tried to manipulate my kids a little bit by saying that. God's watching you. God sees what you're, God knows what you're doing and nobody else does. How many of you know that that can be a bad thing, but it can also be a really good thing? Because he can't keep his eyes off of you. Some people think that God's kind of like a cosmic doctor. Somebody you go to whenever you have need, but the relationship ends there. Oh, Listen, God is the healer, but there's, he's, got, he's so much more interested than other, in other areas of your life. It's not a one-sided relationship that ends at the appointment. Sometimes people view God like he's a game show host. Let's make a deal, God. Right? Someone who you can deal with as long as the terms are in your favor. Some view God as a, as a slave driver. And I think maybe this young man that day, he kind of forgot what his earthly father was like. If I go back, he'll he'll just treat me like a slave. And I'm okay with that because it's better than living with pigs. Listen, it is very imperative that we have a biblical view on the nature of God. I was going to say balanced view. Then I changed that because I think sometimes balanced is a jacked up word. I think we need to have a biblical view of who God is. See, humans are built in God's likeness, but God is not built in human likeness. In the sense is that just because maybe you've had a bad experience with fathers or you've seen fatherhood bad doesn't mean that God's a father like an earthly father. No, a father, an earthly father is, is supposed to emulate the way God is. But what we do is we allow what we see to dictate what we feel and how we perceive. And so we take God wrongly. And it's imperative that we have a biblical view on God's nature. So again, we look at this story, picking back up in Luke chapter 15. One of the most powerful statements in all of Scripture because it connects just like it it does with me and just like it connects with you. And it says this about the son after he came to his senses, he said, I'll go home. It says that while he was still a long way off. I don't know about you, but man, 20 years ago, I was still a long way off. But I said, I got to go to him. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, he started speaking. His dad's hugging him. He's loving on him. They're breathing. They're running. I don't think, I think if the father started running, I don't think the son just kept walking. He might have. But I think if he was running, I'd probably start running too. In fact, I might turn around and start running the other way. Maybe he tried that. But I don't really know. But I do know that this father grabs his son. He doesn't bend him over his leg to spank him. But he embraces him kisses him and his son said to him father father I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son but his father said shut up kind of his father said to his servants quick bring the finest robe in the house 
and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Hey, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So let the party begin. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of his servants what was going on, and they said, your brother is back. He was told, and your father has killed a fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return, and the brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. I mean, can you imagine? His father came out and begged him. He's like, come on in. And he said, all these years I've slaved for you. I've never once refused to do a single thing that you've told me to do. And, and in all that time, you never gave me even one thing, not even a goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf, Dad. And his father said to him, Son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost and he's found again another brother with a bad perspective. So it shows me that you can have, you can be in the house and even have a bad perspective. How many parties would have been thrown if he would have known that they were at his disposal? This scripture tells us a lot about the two sons. It tells us a lot about redemption, but I want to talk about what it talks about God. When it talks about God as a father, because this is exactly what Jesus is talking about, he says this is like God. This is like lost people. This is like religious people. And this is about God. See, the first thing about the nature of Abba is that Abba is intimate and personal. It's interesting to me that whenever we see this in the story, that whenever he decides to come home, it says that when he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. They didn't really have email back then. He couldn't really call him up on his cell phone. You know, the network wasn't really established very well in the area. So I don't know how he found out that his son was coming home. He probably didn't know, but I know this, that the father was waiting the father was probably longing for the day because he knew about the famine in the land. He knew that he probably was running out of money. He hoped in his heart that his son might come home. And sure enough, one day when he was waiting, because I think that he wasn't waiting for just one day, I think that he was waiting for many days. And I think that this day he was waiting that day for his son to come home. And as he looked upon the horizon, all of a sudden he sees the one that he had been waiting for. God is intimate and personal. The father was longing and waiting for the return of his son. The, the word Abba is interesting. It's, uh, I believe it's three times in the New Testament that that word is used. It's actually Aramaic, and it, it's, a, it, it's a term that slaves and servants were forbidden to address the head of the family as. So if you were a servant, you couldn't call the father of the house Abba. Okay, you could probably call him father, 
because he was the father of the house. But you couldn't address him in this endearing term, which was very personal. Abba is a word framed by the lips of infants, indicating absolute trust. Father expressed, because it's normally Abba, father. Father expressed an intelligent uh, apprehension, uh, uh, an intelligent application to the relationship. So it's basically like a child saying, Dada, father. So it could be the infant or the adult. So there's a coherency about it. There's an understanding about it. There's a grid that says, Father, I recognize who you are. But there's also the other part that's, that's pretty ignorant, if you will, that's pretty immature that just cries out, Abba, because it's such a personal, endearing term. I can remember when my children said Daddy for the first time and how much it meant, means to me when they say it. I, I think about how much more it means to me than if my, my, my kids come up to me and go, Dad, if they go, can I have a Coke? Or if they go, Dad, can I have a Coke? I think it's different because why? Because there's an endearing to whenever you say Abba. So if slaves were forbidden to say it. Servants couldn't say it. Only the children it said, it's interesting that Jesus, in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is crying out to God, whenever his disciples fall asleep on him, when Jesus is fixing to take the weight of the world upon his shoulders, when he's at Golgotha, Jesus says this. He uses the term of an infant, Abba, Father. He cried out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me yet. I want your will to be done, not mine. We think about that such a powerful story, but here is Jesus in the most innocent of states. I mean, Jesus got it all together, Jesus, right? Every Bible story, Jesus got it all together. Jesus, in his ultimate mindset of humility, Daddy, if you can just let, I know you can't. Are you with me? Is an endearing to when we say Abba. So Abba is, first of all, intimate and personal. This is who he is. Secondly, Daddy Abba is filled with love and compassion. In fact, 1 John 4, 8, we all know it, right? Our favorite, one of our favorite scriptures. We all know it. We all don't know where it is. But we all know it's 1 John 4, 8 that says God is Right? It's God is love. In fact, we, I mean, we have, we have to say that, right? Now, love is not God. Come on, somebody. But God is love. It's the, if there's one, one attribute that human has, that it, the human has, and understand that we have is that God is love. He is filled with love. He is love. He is filled with compassion. He is filled with love and compassion. And it says this in the passage. It says that he was filled with love and compassion and ran to his son. Love and compassion. You know, love, uh, I love it that it says just love and compassion because it doesn't, because we, we're, we're so like jacked up. Uh, maybe, maybe the translators understood that we would get it wrong probably because we don't know what love is. Let me tell you what love is. First of all, love is a to- choice. Secondly, love is a commitment. That's what love is. It has emotions and affections and all those things attached to it. But love is a commitment to do right. Come on, are you with me? So it says, you know, I love it that it doesn't just say as his father loved him, but it says his father loved him and had compassion. See, compassion, we've seen Jesus move so many times with compassion. 
And this doesn't mean that, that Jesus was feeling sorry for people because you can feel sorry for somebody and love them and not do anything. But when you love them and have compassion, it moves you. And this is what happens to this father filled with love and compassion. He wasn't just like had compassion. He was filled with love and compassion and ran. Psalm 145.8 says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger. So we think God's kind of hot-tempered, right? We think God's just like waiting to get pissed off, right? No, it says he's slow to anger. He doesn't have a quick temper like some of us. He is filled with unfailing love. Why? Because God is never driven by anger. God has anger. God hates things. Did you know that? God hates things. He doesn't hate people, but God has hate inside of him, a holy hate, if you're with me, right? But he's not moved with anger. He's not moved with hate. In fact, he's slow to get angry, and he's filled with unfailing love. Love is always God's motivation, whether it be judgment, whether it be discipline, whatever it is, love has always been God's motivation. When God judged the Israelites all those times, it was motivated by love. That's a different topic. Go real deep in that. We're not going to. He showers compassion on all of his creation. Psalm 145. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of the works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. Isn't that awesome? One of the things that you got to understand about this story, when it says that he was filled with love and compassion, he ran. Now, in those days, in, in, in Jewish times, when Jesus was telling this story, people were probably freaking out. Whoa, wait a okay, we get it. He was filled. He loved his But the, the daddy ran. In fact, I, got, I don't know that it happened, but it wouldn't surprise me if someone interrupted Jesus and said, what would you say? He ran. Because in those times, Jewish culture, it was very inappropriate for a man to run. Because one of the things, and you can see this, I, I believe it was uh, Elijah one, at one time tucked his, it says that he pulled up his robe when he ran. Because this is what would have to happen. If a man ran and didn't pull his robe up, he would trip. Well, it, the thing is, it's very inappropriate in those days for men to walk around showing their legs. Now, I don't know why that would be inappropriate, but it was. And so a man would actually have to hike up his skirt, if you will, and run so he wouldn't trip on his robe. Let's say robe. Let's stay with robe. It's important that you guys have a masculine mindset here about this man. So he's running, and he has to pick. So it was considered very, 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 very inappropriate. And he ran. Notice he ran. He didn't sit up there and go, well, let's see if he'll come all the way up to the house. If he gets up here to the house, if he crosses that line right there, then I'll forgive him. I'll let him in. No, that's not how God works. God isn't like, well, if you... He is running. He is bold-faced running. He doesn't care what anybody thinks about him. He's not concerned about his reputation. How many know that he's, he's pretty good at, at being a good God? And so the thing is, is he's not concerned about anything except this boy who's coming home, his boy who's coming home. So he says, forget that. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care. Here he comes, and he runs. Now, he probably didn't run very often, right? I don't run very often. So when I run, it's got to be a pretty big deal, right? 
Another reason that he could have been running is because this house was probably in a village. And whenever he saw his son a long way off and started running, he realized that there could have been accusers in that village that reach his son first and tell him, oh, no, your father doesn't want you back. So the father says, I'm going to get to him first. I'm going to get to him before anybody else does. I'm going to get to him before the, the other brother does because I know, I know how it kind of is. And I know I'm going to get to him. I'm going to get to my boy. God runs. He is the great initiator. I love James 4, 7, 8. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee, flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Listen, whenever we come to our senses and say, God, I'm coming, God is saying, that's right, baby, and I'm coming too. And I believe the initiation to ever decide to come was because we recognize the goodness of the Father, but the Father is coming I believe that when you take one step forward, God doesn't meet you in the middle. I believe that when you take one step forward, God runs. And I think God can run a lot faster than you can. Come on. So Abba is filled with love and compassion. Y'all all right tonight? Yeah. Preach it. Give me some of that. Okay. Number three. Abba is affectionate. Notice that whenever he gets there, the father kisses him, right? It says he kisses him. He embraced him and kissed him, right? Big old sloppy kisses all over. You know, when my kids come home and they come and they walk in the door, you know, sometimes I get that greeting, daddy. Sometimes I don't. Those are bad days. But the good days and they come in and they, dad, and they run up and I'm, you know, I don't like just being like, hello, child. Hello, children, right? I'm like, come on, let me love my little daddy. Give me a big old hug. Let me kiss on you. Man, I'll get all like kind of slobbery lips and kissing on their neck and their face and stuff. I just love to love on my kids. And I think that, that was probably kind of what the father was doing to this son kissing his neck. And he's sitting there saying, oh, I just, I just want to not. Let me just love on you. Shut your mouth. Let me just love on you just a minute. Understand something, when he embraced him, it wasn't like he was embracing and hugging some clean child. Now, I love my kids, okay? And like, baby Elisa, like, man, I can kiss her feet. Like, you guys know that feet freak me out. I can can kiss her little feet and all that kind of stuff. But I guarantee you, if Judah has been playing outside and he comes in, I will not, I won't, even if he's not playing outside, he's to the point now, I mean, they're officially not babies anymore. When when you can't kiss their feet anymore, when you kiss their feet and it's gross, that means it's good that they're not babies anymore. And so, like, I I would never kiss Mariah or Judah's feet now. I know that that's pretty jacked up as a father, but, you know, I mean, God told me I'd be like, okay, and uh, I I would do it, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, (laughs) right, that type of thing. But the thing is, is, like, I love to, like, kiss on my kids. You know, I love to love on them. So here is his father loving on his son who had been doing what? Living among pigs, Probably eating what pigs ate. Did you know pigs were considered an unclean animal in Jewish culture? In fact, it still is. In fact, you don't even eat bacon. I know. It's like the worst thing ever. It's like they don't even eat bacon. These Jewish people, they don't eat bacon. Why? Because it comes from pigs. And pigs are unclean animals. Right? So here's a son, been living in pigs, smells like pig poop. You know that pigs poop and eat in the same place they don't need they, they could be eating poop and they don't know it so here's this boy living in poop 
and pig feed, sleeping with pigs, eating what pigs eat, filthy, dirty, don't even have shoes, squandered all of his money, don't even have money for a shower, and shows up filthy. And the father hugs him and kisses him. God isn't waiting for you to get all clean up and purty and all nice and go get in your bathrobe and come out so he can hug on you. No, 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 no. God isn't like that. He is running, hugging, kissing, and loving on you just like you are. Now, is he going to clean you up? Yeah, he is. He's going to clean you up. He's going to give you a robe. He's going to do all that. But his biggest concern is loving on you. Ephesians 1, 5, 8 says that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. Oh, come on. By bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do. (laughs) It's what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. See, God didn't just save you because he's like, oh, well, they need to be saved. You know, not they're going to go to hell. We all know how bad that would suck. So, well, okay. No, it says that in advance, he adopted us. He decided to adopt us in advance because this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him pleasure. Did you know that it gives God pleasure to call you his child? He goes, yeah, that's my son. It's like, it's like the proverbial kid that is terrible at sports, and he's out there playing, and the dad's going, look how good he is, and he's not, right? Look at him ride the bench. (laughs) He's so good at that. Come on. Look at this drawing. Yes, refrigerator, right? And it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered. In the, in the NIV, this is the New Living Translation. In the NIV it says the word is lavished. What is lavish? Lavish is what I do to my kids when they come home. I love on them. I kiss on them. I rub on them. Right? You know what I'm saying? That's lavish. He showered, he lavished his kindness on us along with wisdom and understanding. So God is affectionate. Number four, God is Abba, restores and repositions. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said, I love this, but his father said, Get the finest robe. Now, now, when he said this, get the finest robe, it was like, okay, hold on, hold on, Father, Father of the house. The, the finest robe, that's probably in your closet. Get the finest robe. Let's, let's, let's get this mess off of him. Let's get this clothes off that stink and are nasty. Let's bring him, let's bring him the best thing in the house. The cleanest, most finest robe. Cover up this mess that he's got himself into, let's give him a new robe. Let's put a ring on his finger. That's what the father said. He didn't say, okay, come on. All right, okay, you can be my servant, son. And that would have been good. Would that have not been good? Would that not have been fair of the father to say, yes, you can be my servant? Would that not be a good father? It would be a good father. But we don't serve just a good father. 
We don't love just a good father in our worldly mindset. We, we serve and love a supernaturally, supernaturally good father, a God that is supernaturally good. He's not just good in our terms. He's like beyond that. Put a ring on his finger. What is a ring? A ring shows wealth. This, this kid hadn't been able to, he probably had rings before and probably sold them for money on prostitutes. Come on, on the forbidden, give him another ring. Come on, let's restore him. It was pro- probably a signet ring, a family signet ring that said that your, your, your sonship has been reinstated. Get sandals for his feet. You've got to understand, in those days, servants ran around without shoes on, but sons didn't. So either he probably already sold his sandals or because he was serving this other guy, didn't have any sandals or something, but he didn't have sandals on. He was going to not wear sandals ever again. He was never, he was okay without shoes as long as he could eat something other than what the pigs were eating. And the father said, hey, and bring us, while you're over there, while you're getting the ring, while you're getting the rope, bring this boy some shoes. He's not a servant in this house. He's a son of this house. So go get him what my sons wear, not what my servants wear. Oh, and by the way, when you're over there, that calf that we've been fattening up all year, maybe over a couple of years, that fat, big old fat heifer that we've been waiting to have a party for, go get that big old fat cow. And slaughter him because it's time to party. Right? You know what I'm saying? He's like, get that big old pig we've been fattening up. That's what it says. The pig that they have been fattening. Not the pig, the, the cow. Pig probably would have been better. But they didn't eat pig. Dang it. I'm sure they slipped some bacon in there in those filet mignons. Come on. Come on. Kill the fattened calf. The one who we've been making fat, the one we've been preparing for a day like this. Now, I don't know that if it was a cow that he'd been preparing for this day, but it was a cow that he was preparing for a day. In fact, the son was ticked off. He's like, you didn't kill me, no cow. The father's saying no. Listen, the father's saying the same thing now as he is saying then. No, I won't accept you back as a servant. No, 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 I won't. But I'll accept you back as a son. I'll only receive you back as a son. Can you imagine the son bawling and weeping in humility if he would have just understood from the beginning how good his father ever was. He was that he would have never lived with the pigs. He would have just wanted to stay home. Number five, Abba is a rejoicer. You know, God likes to party. You know, I mean, again, we have a pretty jacked up view on what that is. But God likes to party. He's a rejoicer. He said, we must celebrate with the feast for my son was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So let the party begin. Did you know that God is mostly happy? I remember the first time I ever heard that, I was like, are you sure? Right? <laughs> Are you sure about that? Can you give me some references there, please? 
Because I kind of thought that God was mostly upset. In fact, God might have been happy with most people, but he sure wasn't very happy with me because I knew how many times I'd failed him that day and the day before and the last few years before that. I knew how many times I blew it. But we're not coming to a God who's ready to break out a list and say, come be my servant. Again, it would be totally just. It would be totally right for him to do that. We serve a God of supernatural goodness. God is mostly happy because his heart is filled with love. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and rejoice over you with singing.